Well, Easter Sunday is just two weeks away. And as we prepare our hearts for Easter, I want to take a moment and uh, I want us to reflect on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to begin in verse 36 this morning. And while you're turning there, let me just set up the context for you. This is the very first Holy Week, some 2,000 years ago. And Holy Week begins with Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is the day when Jesus entered Jerusalem riding a colt. Scholars call it the triumphant entry. But in many ways, it was also the tearful entry into Jerusalem. Because this is the beginning of a very long, hard, difficult week for Jesus. You see, on Monday of Holy Week, Jesus is in the temple area and he sees the corruption of the money changers and he overturns their tables and he says to them, My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. That's on Monday of Holy Week. Then on Tuesday, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders, they harass Jesus and they question his authority. They say to him, by what authority are you doing all these things? Then on Wednesday, something heartbreaking happens. One of his closest friends, one of his disciples, his name is Judas Iscariot. He betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That happens on Wednesday of Holy Week. It's a long, hard, difficult week for Jesus. And then on Thursday evening, Jesus has this meal with his disciples. The scholars call it the Last Supper. And then Judas Iscariot, he gets up from the table and he leaves. And Jesus knows that in a few hours, Judas will be back with a band of soldiers to have him arrested. And then immediately after this last supper, this final meal with his disciples, Jesus enters the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is the eve before Jesus is crucified on the cross because Jesus is crucified on the cross on Good Friday, the morning of Good Friday. And so there's this pause in the Garden of Gethsemane before things move really quickly. And so let's look at what we find Jesus doing in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 36, and it says this. this listen carefully. This is the word of the Lord. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Jesus 
took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. A few observations about the Garden of Gethsemane. First observation is this. Jesus pursued relationships. Jesus drew near to his friends in times of trouble. In this, perhaps the single most difficult eve of his life, Jesus asked his friends to accompany him, to be with him, to stay with him. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John into the Garden of Gethsemane with him. And so the question for us is this, what do you do when you have difficult days in life? I know what I do. What I tend to do is I tend to withdraw. I tend to alienate myself. I tend to close myself off from other people. But this is not what Jesus did. Jesus surrounded himself with his best friends, with Peter, James, and John, his inner circle. And here's the lesson for us. In times of trouble, don't go to the Garden of Gethsemane alone. This is not the time to withdraw. This is not the time to cut people off from your life. This is not the time to alienate yourself. This is the time, rather, to be with the people of God. This is the time to reach out and invite your closest friends to accompany you, to be with you, to stay with you as you enter the Garden of Gethsemane. I love what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. This is King Solomon writing, the wisest king on earth, and he writes this. He writes, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they should fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe or but bummer to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. We need one another to weather the storms of life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus pursued relationships. And then, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I love that the author included these few words here. 
he included the words that Jesus was sorrowful and troubled. He included the words that came out of Jesus' lips, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Here we get a glimpse of what Jesus is feeling on the eve before he is crucified on the cross. Jesus is sorrowful and troubled. Jesus is overwhelmed with sadness. He is heavy-hearted. He is gripped with agonizing sorrow. He is deeply troubled. The words that come out of his lips, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus' soul is being crushed by this heavy weight, this heavy burden, to the point where it feels like he's breaking, where he's dying. And I'm grateful that the author included these words in here because it reminds me that Jesus understands. When I go through tough seasons in life, it gives me comfort to know that Jesus understands, that he's been there, that he is well acquainted with pain and brokenness, that he is familiar with our heavy-heartedness. Jesus understands when you are overcome with sadness. Jesus understands when you are heavy-hearted. Jesus understands when you are gripped with agonizing sorrow. Jesus understands when you are deeply troubled. Jesus understands when you are being crushed by the heavy weight of whatever you're going through, that it feels like you're breaking, you're dying. Jesus understands. I like what the apostle Paul writes in Hebrews chapter 4. This is what he says. He writes, and this is the message version. It's a dynamic translation, so it's not a, a, a preferred translation that I like to use, but I, I like the words that are used in this dynamic translation. It says this. It says, Now that we know what we have, Jesus this great high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. And then I, this is the part that I love. Listen to the words here. It says, We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is ready to give. Take the mercy. Accept the help. Jesus is not out of touch with our reality. He's experienced it all. Jesus understands. And then the next observation I have is this. Jesus persisted in prayer. What does Jesus do with his sorrow when, when he's crushed in spirit here? He brings it to the Father. Jesus persisted in prayer. Jesus says to the Father, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup, may this burden, may this suffering be taken from me. 
Yet, not my will, but your will be done. And then he comes back, finds Peter, James, and John fast asleep, wakes them up and says, hey, keep watch with me. And then he goes away a second time and he prays, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away from me, then may your will be done. Comes back, finds Peter, James, and John fast asleep, and then he goes away for a third time. And he prays, My Father, if this cup cannot be taken from me, then your will be done. Jesus persisted in prayer. Jesus pressed in to prayer. In his book, A Praying Life, author Paul Miller offers a very interesting definition for prayer. Very simple, yet I find it to be quite profound, and it's this. Prayer equals helplessness. I find this to be an excellent definition for prayer, at least one aspect of prayer. You see, for the average American, for most of us here, we are not serious about prayer because we are not helpless. We are smart. We are educated. We are self-made. We are self-reliant. And so we pray for our meals because that's the Christian thing to do. But otherwise, prayer is virtually non-existent for most Americans. Have you ever heard of the saying, God helps those who help themselves? It's actually not in the Bible. Rather, prayer is God helps those who cannot help themselves. That's prayer. Prayer equals helplessness. And until you are convinced of your helplessness, you will not take prayer seriously. As long as you have an ace up your sleeve, as long as you have a backup plan, as long as you have things under control, as long as you remain confident in your own abilities, you most likely will not take prayer seriously. Throughout the Gospel of John, we see people coming to Jesus because of their helplessness. In John chapter 2, Jesus and his mother, they're at a wedding and something tragic happens. They run out of wine. No wine at a wedding. That's embarrassing. Listen to Mary's request of Jesus. She says this to him. She says, They have no more wine. Isn't that a beautiful picture of prayer? Prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. Last week, we looked at Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. Listen to this Samaritan's woman's request of Jesus. She says this to him. She says, Please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never thirst again. 
Isn't that a wonderful picture of prayer? Prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. Later on in John chapter 4, this royal official's son is ill. He's sick. He's on his deathbed. And this royal official comes to Jesus and makes this request of him. He says this. He says, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Isn't that a perfect picture of prayer? Prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. In John chapter 5, at the pool of Bethesda, there's this man that's been paralyzed, paralyzed for nearly 40 years of his life. Listen to his request of Jesus. He says, Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Isn't that a beautiful picture of prayer? Prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. In John chapter 11, Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus is ill. He's sick. He's on his deathbed. And so they send word to Jesus. Listen to their request of Jesus. They, their request of Jesus is this. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Isn't that a perfect picture of prayer? Prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. And then later on in John chapter 11, Lazarus dies. He passes away. And Mary says this to Jesus. This is Mary's request of Jesus. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Isn't that a perfect picture of prayer? Prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus is not asking us to do something that he hasn't already done. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus falls with his face to the ground and he prays, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus falls with his face to the ground and he brings his helplessness to the Father. What are you going through today? Are you tired or troubled? Are you restless or anxious? Are you depressed or empty or worried or broken or in pain? Bring your brokenness and your pain and your trouble to Jesus. Persist in prayer. Lean in to prayer. Prayer is bringing your helplessness to Jesus. Amen.
receive this benediction, this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you and have a great week.